Hey everyone, this is Nate Scott, and this is the For the Win Podcast, your home to everything that's buzzing in the world of sports. My guest today is my colleague, a fellow editor at For the Win. It's Chris Corman. Hey, man. Hey, Nate. How are you? Good to talk I, to you. Oh, I'm back. I'm back from Rio. <laughs> everyone, I'm so, that's why the podcast is a day late today. I was traveling yesterday, and I made it back from Rio and then got stuck in JFK for five hours. So, of course, <laughs> I could have just taken a train home to D.C., but I am home. Um, I am back. I am fighting a little bit of a head cold, which I'm praying doesn't progress into Zika. I don't think it will. So apologies for the sniffles. Corman, man, how are you? I'm good, man. Uh, enjoyed all your coverage from Rio. It was fantastic. Uh, the whole the whole team was great down there. Man. Yeah, um, I, I'm sort of I'm sort of trying to wrap my head around the experience, which is partly why I called you. Um, for those of you who don't know, Corman is our uh, long form and features editor at For the Win. He's also uh, a a news hound, I guess. Is that fair? Is that a is yeah? That, yeah, I think so. Um, That's fair. A an appreciator and uh, studier of journalism in 2016, and someone that uh, you know, he and I are constantly talking about this stuff. And every once in a while, I like to record it. Um, and the reason I wanted to talk to you today was about this Ryan Lochte story, not because there's anything sort of interesting to say about the story anymore. Uh, not that there ever really was anything interesting <laughs> to say about the story. Um, but just cause I, I thought it was so interesting, my experience being down in Rio, um, and then sort of watching from afar the, the kind of echo chamber of the internet take this story or non-story, however you want to look at it and, and sort of run with it. And, uh, I guess I'll start before we dive into it, just to get sort of the basic facts. If for some reason you've been in an igloo the last month uh well but that's actually the thing right is like the basic facts are what we're talking about exactly. is that it's it's actually very hard to pin down the basic it's the, the the likelihood that the people listening to this don't know the basic facts is shockingly high uh through in you know through in some ways no fault of their own you know i mean the facts like they, they were just lost so early on yeah. so actually, i think we Really good we do point. need to establish. So we do need a, to establish the basic. It facts. is a good thing to establish the basic facts. So basically, what um, what happened, and I'll just sort of go through it from my perspective down there, just because right. um, I was there with USA Today Sports, uh, kind of more so than for the win. I was I sort of had my USA Today Sports hat on last week, so I, I was getting to see how our journalists were were handling this firsthand. Um, the story sort of broke when Ryan Lochte and some swimmers went out for a night, and um, We'll get to what they did, um, but basically what happened was Ryan Lochte uh, came home and told his mother, who was in Rio, that he had been robbed. And uh, his mother contacted uh, two reporters who I work with, Nicole Auerbach and Rachel Axon, uh, at USA Today Sports, and, and told them this. And uh, they sort of reported the, the loose facts that Ryan Lochte had given his mother. Um, or not the loose facts, the story that Ryan Lochte had given his mother. Right, right. Anyway, um, it devolves from there. It spins out of control. Uh, the initial story was that four burglar or some burglars had a, a cab that Ryan Lochte and some swimmers were in had pulled over for gas. Uh, men came up with badges and pulled a gun on them and robbed them. Ryan Lochte said whatever and handed over his money. Um, None of the story really made sense, and we all thought it, you know, um, 
I think if Ryan Lochte was anyone else, people would be like, what is this doesn't make any sense. But because it's Ryan Lochte and he's sort of an affable idiot, I think everyone was like, well, he may be the kind of guy who would say whatever in his wallet to people robbing him. Uh, we then learned that that was not the case. That was not true. Uh, he had actually been, and here's where the, the facts are, and this is something that we've reported out. Uh, basically, the four swimmers pulled over at a gas station. They told the cab to pull over so they could use the restroom. They went around back to the restroom to find the door locked, and being drunk uh, fools, they decided to, they were out back behind a building, they decided to pee on the wall, and while back there, Ryan Lochte uh, pulled a sign that was apparently, quote-unquote, loosely hanging on a wall. Uh, he pulled it down off the wall, and they then went back to get in the cab. Upon doing so... Some men who were working for the gas station as kind of, uh, I, I believe they were prison guards and they were just working security, uh, basically said, you guys need to pay for peeing on our wall and doing the damage. And with the help of a translator who kind of stepped up to save the day, uh, basically negotiated with these guys who one of them had a gun drawn and had shown a, a badge, apparently. Um, that's sort of still up for debate, but that's what the other swimmers have said and Lochte is now corroborated. Um, right. that they had um, needed to pay for the damage they'd done. They pulled out all the cash they had, which was, you know, 60 bucks or something like that. It might be a little more than that. And and paid and then got in the in the cab and had a laugh because, oh, my God, that was so scary. What were we doing? That That's a story. We don't need to tell the press, but that's a story we'll always have for us. Uh, <laughs> the press then found out right. and the world ran with it. So, you know, the reason I'm sort of going through all these facts is if if you look at this story, um, I, I I'm not sure anyone really behaved all that well. You know, th those guys shouldn't have been drunk. They shouldn't have peed on a building. Uh, that probably doesn't warrant a gun pulled on them and a badge shown by an off-duty uh, law enforcement officer. Right. I, and and so anyway, I'm I'm what I what I wanted to talk to you about was, you know. That was sort of, we kind of pieced together that story through a lot of reporting. Uh, David Meeks and uh, our colleague Taylor, whose name, I'm forgetting her last name. Oh, my God. Um, I was down Barnes. With, Taylor Barnes. So sorry. Uh, David Meeks and Taylor Barnes, uh, a, a reporter and actually our, our managing editor of USA Today Sports, pieced this together over visiting the, they went to the gas station. We had a videographer go there and, and look at the this bathroom that they, these guys supposedly trashed, which um, was one of those stories that somehow got out, I think through a bad translation of a Brazilian interview with a, ga with a gas station employee. <laughs> um, what I wanted to talk about you was, you know, we were down there and we were sort of piecing together this story and it was just so interesting for me to be in Rio and working with people who are saying, oh, well, that turns out not to be true. Well, let's follow that up. Let's and back home... It was irrelevant. Uh, there was nothing stopping the 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 opinion pieces, the takes, um, and and I'm curious what you thought of the story, how it spun, and is this just like journalism 2016 now, or uh, I, I'm curious just your impressions on the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to to some degree this is journalism 2016 because. Uh, you know, we ran an early version of the story. Uh, I think there, I think 
USA Today and maybe an Australian reporter sort Fox, of broke. Fox Sports Australia. And right. I still don't know how he got that story. Uh, I, that I think a, I think it was like happenstance that he, oh, he got on a sh- shuttle and Lochte's mother was there. Ah, okay. uh, uh, so, so, um, and so I think that that's sort of what happened is, uh, you know, there's no, there's no waiting anymore, right? Like this story has to go out. Uh, I, you know, I think our original story is basically like, oh my gosh, Ryan Lochte is saying this thing happened to him. I mean, mm-hmm. the writing, the writing is clear. Ryan Lochte is saying this and, you know, we have a line in there that the police are investigating it. Um, and, you know, so stories sort of evolve in front of everyone now. There, yes. there is no, there, you know, we're not waiting for, we're not putting it in the paper. We're not getting all the facts we can get. And then at nine o'clock, it goes to the printer and it shows up at 6 a.m. and everything is a tidy package. I mean, everyone can see how a story progresses, evolves, changes. Uh, you know, you you are watching the sausage get made and there's nothing pretty about the sausage getting made in 2016. You know, it's, yeah. it's always been. Uh, a tough a tough thing to do and then i i think you know we just live in a time where uh quite frankly people pay more attention to opinion and i mean yeah. skip bayless makes six million dollars a year mm-hmm. uh, to to shout about stuff that he may or may not have any clue about um and and you know sean hannity probably makes more and uh you know there are all these people who uh, this seems to be what people want to grab onto. They they sort of want to just jump into the debate, um, and and in this case, it just had so many things roiling around. I mean, this was, I, I, you know, the problem with Lochte, uh, the way that he portrayed it was that it was exactly the thing that Brazil did not want to see yes. uh, come out about Brazil. You know, I mean, Ryan Lochte is a simpleton. Uh, you know, yes. we, we all know that. I mean, mm-hmm. this is not, there's, there's, this is there's not a mental giant we're dealing with. Right. And there's no debate about that whatsoever. He, he, he has opened his mouth and proven himself a fool time <laughs> after time after time. Like, and that, that's just what Ryan Lochte does. It's his thing. He embraces it in a lot of ways. Um, but so he sort of took this, 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 uh, this concern that had been out there about, Brazil being, uh, you know, a, a wild place where men would come up to you with fake badges and guns and steal your money. Um, and that's just not, you know, and, and he just sort of regurgitated that. He sort of turned this story. I mean, apparently just lied to his mother. He's 32 yeah. years old and just, uh, you know, felt that he had to lie to his mother about this bad, this semi bad thing that he did and, and led to him losing, you know, a minimal amount of money. Um, but but it you know so that caused furor from the Brazil side. This is the last thing they wanted, um, and they quickly sort of, you know, I, I do think one of the one of the Brazilian police officials uh, did say that some of the bathroom uh, equipment had been damaged, a mirror and a soap dispenser. Uh, so you know there were untruths from both sides uh, exactly. as far as as far as our reporting goes. Uh, but it quickly became a huge you know. Again, a prevailing narrative uh, the, of the ugly American. You know, Ryan yeah. Lochte is a bro who was acting, uh, acting like the the worst type of American we all know in a foreign country. Uh, so that narrative just just started running here. Um, and uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how we get back to to rooting things in fact. Well, uh, if if you have an idea, that'd be great. 
Well, what, what's so interesting to me, I think, is in 2016 now, I think this story was so powerful because you could warp it to make any sort of argument you wanted. Um, and what I'm curious about is that's true, you know, if that's true of every story now. You know, if any story, you know, if you wanted to make this Lochte story about uh, corruption in Brazil, you could make it that story. If you wanted to make it about ugly Americans run amok in a foreign country, you could make it that story. If you wanted to make it about male privilege or white privilege, right. it's very easy to do. Um, and, and people did do all that and, 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 uh, you know, and ran with it in ways. What's so interesting to me is, you know, uh, if we take it back to college, you know, the, there was sort of, you know, when I was studying English, it was sort of, you, you, you would do analysis, but you had, there was sort of an agreed upon text that everyone was right. sort of working with. And okay, well, there's a book and there are words down and we're all going to buy the same book and have the same page numbers. And so we have an agreed upon text. And so that we can discuss this in an intelligent way. Uh, there's no more agreed upon text, <laughs> you know? No, yeah. And I think that's part of what criticism is now in 2016 is that there is no, um, you know, the story we're getting is not always the right one, and there is distrust of media and distrust of, uh, you know, the 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 establishment that has been telling us these stories, and now sort of the, the prevailing theory is, well, we don't know what the story is anymore, and so right. let's try and dig into it. What I was sort of blown away by is how little effort was made by people to even try and understand the base facts. Um, I've read several columns. I'm not going to call them out by name um, just because I'm not in the mood for, <laughs> for a, to get yelled at on Twitter, um, where it, it became very clear to me that not only had the person writing the column and the opinion not read what we'd written about it, they hadn't read what many people had written about it. You know, there, there was... You know, we were down there, there was sort of the, the Reuters, and there was the Brazil News, and there was AP, and there was USA Today Sports, and we were all sort of working alongside each other, trying to piece together the story as well as we could. Uh, same with NBC and the Today Show in a slightly different <laughs> way. Um, right. But there were people who were writing opinion pieces in major uh, publications where it was clear they didn't know. They didn't know the basic facts. They had read something of what the Brazil guy told the authorities, and so it was like, okay, that's that's the truth. Or they'd read Lochte's first account, and they said, that's the truth. And and they ran with it. And that's what I, I think is what concerns me now, is this belief that um, a person has a right to uh, offer analysis of a situation without even bothering to try and understand the situation. Right. And, and so often also they just uh, – it, it's not even a fact that they're not trying to understand it. They're trying to understand it in a way that conforms to what they already think yes. in a lot of ways. Uh, I, you know, One of the crazy things about our uh, – the, the piece from David and Taylor that, that sort of – you know, so far is, is the most comprehensive – uh, look at look at what did and didn't happen, and and really sort of navigates, uh, you, you know, between the he said she said. Here's what we actually know. You know, it's a really yes. great piece uh, of journalism in, in that it it really sort of lays those things out. Uh, and it took a couple days to write, which which is what happens. These things are hard to figure out. Um, uh, so it took a couple days, and and in a lot of ways the 
the sort of news cycle had already finished with the story. And so, you know, the, 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 the first, like the first, uh, avalanche of columns had already hit, uh, yes. decry- decrying, uh, Lochte. And in some ways the story was dead. Uh, but, but we came back with this story saying, well, you know, look, it looks like Lochte probably has a point. You know, he, he lied, he, he exaggerated, which is what he has said time and time again. I exaggerated. And it does seem like, uh, it, you know, he wasn't outright lying as much as he was uh, I mean, exaggerating what actually happened. By the letter of the law, he was robbed. I mean, a, right. a person, you know, the, the, these people were not police officers. They were not on-duty police officers. They didn't call the police and report damage done, and there was not restitution. They pulled a gun on a guy and said, you're going to pay for that. And, right. I mean, you know, we can we can decry what Lochte did all the same, but I'm I'm telling you, if that had happened in a gas station in where right. we live in Virginia, or you know, in Maryland, and and I did a little damage to it, someone pulled a gun on me and said, "Give me all the money in your wallet." Uh, right. that, that's not going to fly. <laughs> right. So, right. Anyway, sorry. And and but but so we come out with this better version that that sort of to some degree exonerates uh, in some way Ryan Lochte. You know, it certainly makes him look better than than how he's been portrayed and and the uh the social media sort of response and the people who aggregated our uh reporting uh it has this huge uh sort of right-wing slant i mean it's it's websites that uh are surrounded by uh you know the the, the headline is surrounded by stories about donald trump and about how bad hillary clinton is i mean it's it's like somehow this, you know, this narrative was the one that people were waiting to find. And then they, when they saw it, they jumped on it and they loved it. And uh, the previous one about Lochte had been really picked up by people who uh, were waiting for that, uh, you know, ugly American uh, story to emerge. Uh, so it just seems like because things have to go out so quickly and because, uh, you know, some in some instances, you know, a, a columnist is just has an editor in their ear saying, we need you to say something about Lochte. And so you go with maybe whatever facts are there. I'm, I'm not saying it's easy to be a columnist uh, no. right now, but, but, you know, it just seems that, that, that too often the story is being slanted to, to what's already preconceived um, w- without anyone even bothering to look. And it happens uh, you know, the further you are from a story, I think the more likely you're to, you, you do it. You know, I, I, I live in Baltimore. I, you know, li- I was here during the riots last year. I sort of saw what it actually was. I never feared once for my family. But if I fly to San Francisco and somebody says, where are you from? And I say Baltimore, they look at me like I'm a crazy person that I yeah. live in Baltimore, Maryland, um, which, you know, I find it quite lovely. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's a really, you know, I just think that we've sort of lost any connection to trying to really understand these things. All right, I want to I want to go into that more, but before we do, I have to tell you guys about uh, our sponsor, which is Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, which proudly supports the For the Win podcast. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century, fast, powerful, and completely online. Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. 
So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash FTW. Again, it's quickenloans.com slash FTW. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, let's go back to it. Corman man. Um, I, I'm, I'm, what I think what was so interesting about this story from someone that, you know, studies media and looks at media now, um, and, and you talked about this, you know, this, this story swung as something that started as a scary foreign world to white boy America has run amok and then sort of, you know, kind of landing somewhere in the middle, which I guess the right wing sort of seized upon basically saying like, look at all you guys were hysterical on the left. What's so interesting to me now is that any story really can, um, and this is predominantly, I think through Facebook, any story can be written about for any way that reflects your worldview. And then you can find that very easily right. and, and share it with people who, who share your similar worldview. And so, um, the days of, to borrow an Al Gore line uh, of inconvenient truths, um, I don't know if those really exist anymore because it doesn't matter what the facts are because you can find someone to affirm what you believe already. Right. And, and we exist in these, these echo chambers, you know, I, I you know, I don't think that we're, we're necessarily breaking <laughs> huge ground here talking about this. I mean, I think it's, it's just so well established at this point that, uh, that people have sequestered themselves so that they are surrounded by, uh, by quote unquote news that is delivered to them in the way they want it delivered. Uh, and, you know, I think more than just not ever, uh, not ever being, you know, stumbling upon an inconvenient truth, uh, the, it, it's, it's war, you know, they, if, if they, you know, you, if, if a person who loves Fox news is confronted with the New York times story, uh, they, you know, it's immediately, Oh, the New York times is biased. Uh, they, you know, it's a liberal rag. Uh, but uh, you know, a New York times reader is just as likely to do the, the same when coming across a Fox news story that may have some merit. Um, we, we've just totally com and completely lost this, this middle ground, it seems. Um, and, and I, <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's part of why the discourse now is so broken on so many levels. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm reminded of, to return to sort of an academic analogy, you know, they, they say what a historian does is they look at a lot of sources and then they try and glean the, the truth from all, basically all the different narratives that exist about an event. And, they're going to get it from every side and good historians will look at narratives from every side and then sort of piece together what they believe best happened. Uh, we're asking people in 2016 to do that in real time. And right. that's a lot to ask of people who have jobs and have families. And, you know, it's just, it's a lot easier, I think, to follow people who prescribe to your basic worldview and take what they give you. And, and chew it up and, and spit it back out for someone else. Um, when, I don't know, for me, I, I'm sort of consciously on social media at the point now where I try and follow not a ton, but a, a good number of people who 
do, do not see eye to eye with me on just about anything, um, if only because it's interesting to me to see what narratives are out there on the other side, even if it they can sort of make me confused or, or laugh or angry. But it, I think, for me at least, I think it's sort of helpful to just try and see what the other arguments are coming from. Because I, I think, you know, even as recently as 04, 05, I'll say, you know, with, 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 to get political for a second, with George W. Bush and the Iraq War, I may right. not have agreed with it, but I, I sort of understood the argument for it. And, and right. I was reading it and I, and I could sort of understand the argument for it. And I, and I understood what the argument was and, and, and didn't necessarily agree with it. Now, I'm not even, I don't think people even know what the other side's arguing. I think there's just sort of this blanket kind of, um, with this political election, I don't think people care why someone would support Donald Trump. I don't think there's any interest. It's just, they're all idiots. And same for Hillary right. Clinton. They're all idiots. Right. And I don't know. It's, it's yeah. hairy, man. It's hairy out there right now. And trying to figure out how to be a news organization and monetize yourself in this climate is, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's, right. I mean, we're supposed to be like on the, you know, in, on the front lines of this stuff. And, and I'm, the more I work here and the more I do it, the more confused I am. And, the, and that's right. I feel like the fewer answers I have. Right. You know, I, I think one thing that, that I've noticed uh, after writing about sports most of my life, you know, I, I mean, I, I chose to write about sports mainly and uh, sports, quite frankly, is, is not serious. You know, like it's it's sort of, uh, you know, it's a game. It's what we do to escape uh, real life, quote unquote. Now, you know, certainly you and I love the parts of sports that, that help you reveal real life things. We write about, uh, you know, you write about Charlie Davies' parents and their struggles with addiction or depression. And we wrote about, you wrote about Katrina. I've written about the Second Amendment and gun violence in inner cities. Mm -hmm. Like we use it to access these big stories, but at heart we're writing about sports, which is, you know, not, which is sort of unserious. And, um, you, you know, I think what, what I'm seeing is that, you know, I've covered beats in towns, you know, I covered Indiana basketball. And, you know, when you're writing for a fan base, uh, you realize that they are just all in on that team. And, you know, no matter what, the other team is the enemy, right? Yeah. Like they, you know, Purdue is always going to be bad. Like there's very little, you know, a Purdue player could like save a stranded baby and an Indiana fan might begrudgingly be like, <laughs> oh, that, that was good. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's just like in the sports world, like, because it's not serious, because it's, because it's just sports, like you can be like, I bleed for my team and I always root for my guys no matter what, you know, one of my, one of my favorite college, one of my college, uh, you know, a guy from my college team, uh, got caught peeing, uh, behind a building and you know what? Kids make mistakes. Yeah. But if, but if your rival does that, then, oh, I hate you. Uh, yeah. you know, like, so, but it's. But somehow that has happened with political parties. You know, it's no longer where like, oh, you know, I vote Democrat because I sort of, you know, mostly agree with the Democratic platform. Uh, but, you know, sure, I can vote for whoever. I mean, it's become just such a identifier for people, yeah. you know, that I, I'm left wing, I'm right wing. You know, it, it's it, it doesn't seem like there's any sort of crossover anymore in the same way that you know, a Philadelphia Eagles fans would never be like, well, let me root for Dallas. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just not. And I mean, uh, you see it with political media now where they cover it like sporting. This club cover right, it like a sporting right. event. People are right, winning, exactly. the lead changes, there are highlights, right. there's beef, there's, you know. Um, right. What, what I'm curious about is 
what happens next. You know, with so my background before I, I wrote about sports, I was a music journalist, and, and I was a music journalist that sort of I, I sure know how to pick times. Um, I was <laughs> basically picking it at I you know I started writing about music basically when quote unquote national acts sort of disappeared and died and right um you know basically music just became fractured and fractured into ever smaller niche audiences and there are a few you know there's there's beyonce and kanye and maybe a couple other bands but other than that there there is no real national acts anymore it, it's just sort of small regional right. and even like town-wide things uh and so writing about it became very interesting it was either you know, and, and what I'm curious is if that's going to happen with the news now. And that is basically people write to their niche audience that believe what beliefs sort of overlap with um, their own and they sort of in, in, interact with that. And then there will be however many few big stories a year that everyone sort of has to weigh in on and offer competing hot takes. And that's sort of the way news will migrate from now you know kind of conversation based with people who idea reflect your own uh in sort of niche audiences held online and then a few big stories every year right i i i think we might already be there right? I mean, you know I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's it's sort of like maybe it just crept up around us where uh without even realizing it um you know i think if you were if you look at the news cycle now i mean obviously major stories are being covered by the same old characters. You know, it's USA Today, New York Times, Washington Post. We're all there. We're all pushing it. Uh, and then it gets, I mean, I think that what happens then is there is, there's this filter, you know, and, and certainly for the win, uh, though, you know, we certainly are not very political. At least I don't think we are. We do, and we, we certainly make no attempt to be yeah. uh, outrightly political. But we're sort of part of this filter that takes these stories and then, uh, sort of sees how they're reacted to and like, oh, you know, John Stewart did this funny thing or, um, you know, Stephen Colbert, uh, you know, or, or a player talked about it or a player tweeted about it. And we sort of, uh, package that and deliver it. And I, and I think it's just, that's happening so many different places. Um, and it's, uh, it's happening at a level that I don't think we ever really anticipated you know i one of my best friends is a police officer uh you know he doesn't he gets most of his news from uh these blogs or websites that are sort of covering stuff through a you know through a police slant so it's yeah. not you know and they're working from the new york times or from a local story in york pennsylvania or wherever and they're taking that and they're putting it uh, they're sort of grabbing whatever they think is is germane and and making that a post about uh, you know, about Black Lives Matter or, or whatever the issue may be. Um, and so everything is getting filtered, um, you know. So I think that we need to continue, you know, I mean, certainly very proud of what USA Today did on, on this one, just trying to actually get the facts. I mean, it's, yeah. it sounds absurd to praise USA Today for going to the gas station where this actually happened. But in this instance, that was a, a monumental feat. You know, it should have, it should be the most basic of actions after a story like this breaks. But, but it seems that somehow, sadly, that has set us apart, uh, by, by just trying to ascertain the basic, the most basic of facts. Uh, and, and so I think that we need to, I mean, as journalists, I think we need to sort of fight this fight with that, 
that we need to make it clear that people should be looking for the actual facts and should be demanding proof uh, and should not be responding to, uh, you know, simple allegations or, uh, you know, to clearly slanted stories. And that's the thing, you know, I think the, the filter is a really nice way of putting it. Um, and what the sort of, you know, there are so many filters you can kind of take any story and then repackage it in a way that will suit your audience and, and you know we do that at for the win and other people do it at, you know that's sort of what the modern right. internet would, was built off of uh the hard part is the the big institutions that have the resources to go and ascertain the facts have to stay alive to do that or else there's nothing to even filter we're just all making it up as we go you know right right yeah, exactly. I mean, that's and and again, pr- part of the problem is is the money situation. Yeah. You know, like it's uh, journalism has never paid for journalism. I mean, it's just never worked that way. Uh, you know, journalism, newspapers back when they were flush with money, it was because advertisers had no other place to really go, so they yeah. had to advertise in the paper, and the paper had a bunch of coupons, and people bought it, and you know, they liked the cartoons no and. All right. Uh, there's no Craigslist. So, you know, it was a totally different thing. You know, I, I don't think, I mean, maybe the New Yorker, maybe, you know, but there's just no, uh, there's just not a system where people say, I am willing to pay enough for information to, the, I'm willing to pay so much for information that the people trying to get that information uh, can be fairly compensated. It just doesn't happen. You know, Mother Jones did that amazing piece on, uh, the uh, the privatization privatization of of jails, you know, basically embedded yes. a reporter, uh, and you know, I think I read that it cost three hundred fifty thousand dollars to do that, and the ads on that story generated five thousand dollars. <laughs> so, Jeez. you know, the the gap is just huge. So, so figuring out a way to pay for this uh, is difficult. And and one thing we know, one thing editorially we can do is to write something that appeals to people's emotions and that's yeah. how you get that's how you get columns that say man lochte's horrible or or whatever um so it's uh it's a difficult time you know i mean we just need to figure out <laughs> how to keep how to keep writing trying to get those facts uh, and, and keep that at the forefront on that cheery note uh we're gonna wrap it up corbin yeah man, always a pleasure talking to you you got any stories coming up that we should keep an eye on? Uh, we got a bunch in the works. Um, the you know a couple features that I think w- will be exciting. I, I hope I don't jinx them by talking about them. But uh, Charlotte Wilder is writing about Yeti coolers and sort of like trying to break down this uh, this this popularity around a cooler of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know this whole culture. Uh, Alicia has a great story on. Um, Antonio Brown's private chef, because that's something NFL players have. But, but this guy has, uh, you know, a really amazing story. Um, and then Lakin is, uh, you know, down in Jacksonville, Florida. She might be flying back as we speak. Uh, but, but working on a great story about, um, everyone's favorite SEC coordinator, uh, and sort of trying to, to really reveal who he is. Um, so, you know, I think we have a, a lot of great stuff coming up. Amazing. You guys can read all that at ftw.usatoday.com. I'm Nate Scott. That's Chris Corman. Man, always a pleasure talking to you, and, and let's do it again soon. All right. Sounds good, buddy.